Trumanitarian. Sibo, welcome to Trumanitarian. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's uh, it's a great pleasure. You know, uh, I have I have this deep fear that quite a few of my listeners actually think that the theme song is significantly better than the content of the of the <laughs> podcast, and so. Um, the fact that I have the artist who did the pod, uh, sorry, who did the the track uh, on the, the podcast, I hope will will give me better numbers than normally. So, so thanks for, for doing that. Thank you so much, Sibo. You've had a great year. You you released two tracks this year. One is uh, "Live the Way You Feel," and the other one is called "Choose One," and and they're available on on uh, Spotify and, and Apple Music and so on. Tell us a bit about your 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 project, your career. How 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 is it to be a Zimbabwean rap artist? You know, I've been for years, I've been writing music on the side, you know, while doing a job nine to five and that sort of thing for years. And then decided to go full time with music last year uh, towards the end of the year. And then a few months in COVID happens. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know how to feel about, you know, actually feeling like I'm out there because, you know, we sort of went on lockdown But in terms of like the stuff I've been doing online and the way I've been connecting with people and putting out music and verses and things like that, um, it does feel, you know what, being an artist in 2020 does feel like being a Zimbabwean artist because Zim, <laughs> Zim is generally always in some sort of chaos or disorder. And so maybe that's actually the norm. Yeah. I, I would say that in spite of your uniquely bad timing in terms of becoming a full-time musician, you're doing very well, I think. A, a lot of what you talk about in your songs is around identity. You you have uh, this big project called Rebirth. It's about finding yourself. And it's, it's a very personal journey, I sense, for, for a young African, a, a young Zimbabwean, to to find your identity. That That's sort of how I, from the outside, understand your perspective. Is that is that a fair read of, of the main thrust of it? That, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, and I think it's functioning for me on two layers. On the one hand, um, I feel like I've li- this is sort of a rebirth in the sense of what I'm doing in my life and my career because I did the academic thing. I have two degrees, I had a bunch of jobs over the years, and that's the track I was on. And I just felt I don't want to be on this track, but you know, there's a combination of things, the the pressure of doing what society sort of goes towards, but also my own fears about doing something different and what my heart was telling me. And being an academic, it's like, why follow your heart? You should follow your mind. Um, and then the other layer was like me being an African who's lived in different countries and finding that identity. And so the rebirth has the cultural layer and then it has the personal career change layer to it. I feel, you know, it's it's a bit different from say a singer because with rap, it's it's something that started out as a socially conscious movement. And that's initially what I was drawn to. For some reason, I've always been interested in social cultural issues. And I think that mushroomed partly because of being an African in Africa and then being an African outside and having to basically question my identity And those questions were thrust upon me through the way people would ask about, you know, who I am, where I'm from. Um, there was sort of a feedback loop in terms of like, who who really are you? Because people have this perception of what an African is. And then there's another layer to that, which is that I'm a privileged African. So I'm not 
the majority of the people on the continent. And so there's 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 three layers to my identity. There's I grew up here and I had my community, and then I had a global community, and then the perception that okay, you're African, but you're not really part of that majority that has that struggle. And so um rap for me and music seems to be the medium that helps me try and make sense of all those layers because rap is word heavy it's about asking the questions about going deeper it's not just about melodies and so i've always been drawn to to deeper questions and and that was then fed by my experiences of living outside there and having all these questions that i couldn't answer but also i i i very quickly noticed things that were taboo both in my family and both amongst friends and in society and so it was also my way of asking and talking about things I felt were were not sort of allowed um and being an introvert that was further like just deepened and so <laughs> the stage I'm at now is I'm at a stage of experimentation in terms of my artistry and 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 discovering my voice and what my identity is I feel like at this point in terms of where I am, there's two things I'm trying to hold. And so on the one hand, I'm trying to talk about my personal experiences, the stuff that's in my heart, the stuff that's personal, the stuff that's emotional. But I'm also trying to talk about the social stuff. Um, those are some of the verses actually that have gotten a lot of attention on Instagram when I talked about, you know, Zimbabwean Lives Matter earlier this year, things like that. And so, <laughs> trying to hold those two things and, and do them at the same time is, is literally what I'm trying to figure out because they're both really important to me. Because on the one hand, it's like, what is the state of you know culture and people and Africa? And even if you're not African, actually, um, do you, whether you care about Africa and um, things like that, whereas it's also about like, what's your personal identity as a person? um what is and 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 thus also has to do with questions around like connected to the social political which is like sometimes an African you feel burdened by certain things and you want to be free from them to just be an individual so you know I've had moments for example where you know I I tell this to friends like you know to be African is to be pressured by things you you know you're supposed to know things like how a generator works because you know sometimes it's and I'm like, I want a society that functions so well that I don't need to know how a generator works. <laughs> Can I just get to that? So, I mean, it's it's about exploring the layers of uh, African culture, but also uh, trying to bring in the conversation of, look, I'm privileged. And so there are things I haven't experienced and I can only talk about from an outside view, but maybe I can be the person that's the bridge between, you know, Africa and the world, because in a sense, I've also experienced my own cultural isolation, having traveled a lot and trying to figure out who I am amongst all this. What I found really interesting is you, you the, the two tracks you released, they are very much around the personal perspective, your your journey, so to speak. And then when we we when I approached you and asked you whether you could do something for True Humanitarian, you came up with these, I think, extremely precise lyrics and and really hard hitting messages around a far more structural issue. And and I mean, you live in a country that's going through a, a really difficult time and has been for quite a number of years. How do, how does that personal journey fit into the the reality that most Zimbabweans live with? Mm. I, 
you know, on the one hand, I recognize my privilege, um, but on the other, I recognize that, you know, I, I left high school early because of the instability in this country. And so I've been personally affected and I didn't want to go to boarding school in a foreign country alone without my family. I mean, so so again, there's, there's layers to that. There's the like, I appreciate that I had the opportunity and that my parents could pay for me to get better opportunities, but I left because things weren't good here. And my own personal community started sort of crumbling because my friends went to different countries. And so, you know, even coming back, there's still a sense of trying to reconnect with uh, you know, a place that you grew up in and it's different. And so that's one layer. The second layer is, you know, feeling the, the to some extent, obviously by proxy, not really in there, but like the pain of what people are going through because no one, even when you're privileged, wants to live in a country that's struggling because you can feel it. You can see it when you go to the shop. So you can see it when you're driving down the street and someone's begging, there's a kid begging for, for food. And so it's, it's, it's heartbreaking to see. And, you know, I feel the weight of it because we're, because we're the privileged ones, we're supposed to be helping, trying to help sort out these situations. And I think the, the challenge that, that Zimbabwe has is people tend to, to leave once they have the chance, they don't stay and fight. And, I mean, I can't make that judgment call for people as to what they should do. I wouldn't even know myself. And again, I also was able to have a soft landing because of my parents. And so there's so many questions around that. How how do we move on from that? Um, I mean, the other thing is that the problem with trying to become a part of the political class is you're essentially putting your life in jeopardy. It's not like first world countries where it's either some sort of public service or it's, it's something that yes can affect your life but doesn't put it at risk so I mean that's the problem now is that like that's the irony of it is that like you do need some privileged people to be a part of the political class but privileged people are not going to put their life on the line they're going to try and help through businesses through charities through NGOs but Man, that that world mm. on this on this you know on, on this side of the world is just it's it's crazy. And you really get us as an industry, right? When I first heard the tracks, I thought, "Yeah, damn, she really <laughs> got she got us there." <laughs> just put a few words on on how do you see the whole aid industrial complex, the, the humanitarian and development world? What what is that to you? It's it's funny. I feel funny criticizing it because all that's going to come right now is criticism. Um, but it's also what paid my fees. And so I'm in a strange position where it's like I have this perspective, but it's because that world paid for my fees. Um, I feel like they could be doing a lot more um, because, you, I mean, you look at the the, the the situations on the ground in all these countries versus you know, these institutions and what they get paid and how many people are involved. And it's like, really, this is the best we can do? I mean, you know, one of the lines I had where I said cycles of outsiders was to say, people, this tends to be a system where they come in for the short term, they have a project and then they leave. There's no longevity to it. There's no trying to understand the local culture, the lo local dynamics and improving how things are handed over over the years. It's, it seems to be like a short term sort of system. And so 
I, I mean, the other thing with that world is what is the accountability? Because, you know, in business, if you're, if people don't like your product, they don't buy it, you go out of business. But for example, if they don't meet the SDGs or some of these goals they have, who's going to hold them accountable? Like what are the consequences of not meeting that? And so there's also a thing where it's almost too big to fail in a way, like it's too big to actually begin to like make sense of and drill down and have measurable goals and I know in a sense when you try and measure things like these of improving lives and things like that it's a very difficult thing but there needs to be more transparency from that world about what they actually can achieve. I I think that sums up uh, really accurately a lot of the critique that I think we also are are leveling against ourselves internally uh, in the in the industry. And I think what's interesting is that because you're an artist and you have this way with words and and rap is such an interesting medium, I think you're able to hit some points and some notes, if you want, that that we don't hit in a log frame. Right? I think I I sometimes feel like we have a very sterile language <laughs> in the in the business. We're, we're dealing with people after all, but but it becomes very sort of new public management, very technocratic. And so, what what could you give us? What what kind of uh, inspiration could Sibo give the aid industrial complex in, st- in terms of moving forward? What's what's your message for us? Wow, that's a that's a good question. I mean, I wish I could give more, but I I, I think your question sort of has the answer in it, which is that which you touched on. There needs to be a connection between the management sort of side of things, the bureaucracy, the admin and the art and the culture and the like, because you're dealing with lives. So how do you bridge those two worlds? And and because the, the art is also what helps you understand what the culture is. That's why I guess you have UNICEF ambassadors and artists who sort of come in and do that. But I mean, there needs to be more. I think that's more fundraising actually. Right, okay, and visibility. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't really looked into it, as you can tell. Um, But like there needs to be, you get what I'm saying? Like there needs to be a a better bridge between what these people are trying to, because essentially if you're trying to help a community, you need to be able to understand the dynamics and the culture. And again, it goes back to like being realistic about what you can achieve. What are your goals? Um, And so my, I, I don't know about providing inspiration, but I can ask some questions, <laughs> some difficult questions and bring awareness. <laughs> I sometimes think about uh, what you said, uh, setting realistic goals and as we, we need to get much better at knowing what we're not. Right. I, I think we provide one coping mechanism right. among several and we need to really see it in that perspective and have the humility that comes along with that so that we don't think we are out there saving the world and people, but we are trying to give them one more roll of the dice or one more chance to make it or or to break the fall. I mean, I lived in yeah. Zimbabwe for four years and, and worked with, with community-based HIV programs. And and it was it was very difficult sometimes because it was such a desperate situation to really makes sense out of what we were doing. Right. It made a lot of sense what we were doing, but if you looked at the big picture, right. there was a drop in the ocean. And so trying to, to square that circle and, and and think of 
a, a realistic and sober understanding of the contribution that you're trying to make and understanding that 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 may be very little of what is needed, I, I think is part of what we need to revisit as, as, as a professional community. Mm. And, you know, I, it's, it's such a daunting task because, I mean, if you think about it in terms of a timescale, right, because you think of like humanitarian agencies that do uh, emergency work, you know, what timeline are you looking at? You know, the timeline question is such a fascinating one to me because it's, it's, it's affects how people see things. So for example, with Zim, um, you know, people talk about what happened with the farms being taken and being given back to black people. And you can have one person say, um, if you're looking at, you know, a longer timeline, you may say, okay, um, we're suffering now, but in the long run, it's going to benefit Zimbabwean people. Whereas if you're looking at a short timeline, it's like, this wasn't worth it. We're suffering now. And so the other question then becomes, what's the trade-off? Yeah, and, and as a European, if you look, we, we have had uh, our fair share of wars on this side, right? And, and, and how long did yeah. it actually take to, to stabilize and, and, and find a way of, of, uh, of finding a balance? It's, it's, I think we tend to forget um, because the last decades have been peaceful here. Um, what nation building actually is, how complex it is, right. how deep rooted it is, and and just how deep a wound it is. Uh, the land issue is so emotional uh, in Africa, right? And and, and so I, I really get what you're saying. It still is painful to see what's happening to your country. Yeah, it's it's because you you start to ask the, you start to reckon with the idea that you might not see the change that you wish to see, um, and. Um, you know, 2020 being the year that it is a year of reflection, um, I've thought about a lot, I've thought about that a lot, that this idea that I have of, you know, Zimbabwe had independence in 1980. And when you compare it to other countries, it took decades, 50 years, 100 years for it to get to a point where it's stable and most of the people can earn a living. And so that's that's a crazy thing to consider is that that I'm so early in that stage of you know history. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I feel like I've been a party pooper who totally destroyed this conversation because your music is actually so upbeat and, and, <laughs> and fantastic. And no, I'm sorry for actually, dragging us into the. <laughs> not even because here's the thing. Like I, I this this I there's I so I feel like I have dual identities in the music because the the music. I've put out two songs and they're, they're upbeat and they're like, chase your dreams, live the way you feel, that kind of thing. Choose your better sort of side and work hard. Um, but my, the some of the, a lot of the verses I've done on social media that, you know, weren't put on platforms because it was, you know, just like a freestyle sort of cipher thing that you do and you put on social media. A lot of that's like the stuff that went viral like this year on, on Zimbabwe was kind of dark. Actually, that was the lighter version. People are like, oh, this is serious. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, this is the lighter version of what I actually think and feel. Uh, I feel way more intense. So don't worry about going dark because that's, uh, that's I, I write a lot of stuff like that. I just, it's funny because years ago, I wrote a lot of stuff on, you know, about the Zoom situation when uh, RG, uh, 
Robert Mugabe was in power. And I was like, I am not putting this out. It's just going to sit in my laptop <laughs> because I like my life. <laughs> and even, even the one I put out earlier this year, I was a bit nervous when I put it out because, you know, the thing about the situation here is you can, it, it's definitely changed since RG, for sure, for sure. I mean, the in terms of freedom of expression, if you look at what people would tweet now versus what they would say, um, a few years ago when RG was in power, it, it's, it's like night and day. People, We were so afraid and so trained into just speaking at home. And so now, although economically, and you look at the situation on the ground, people are like, oh, things have actually gotten worse, you know, in terms of freedom of expression has changed. I still was a little nervous because what I've noticed is that um, it's freedom of expression to a certain point. So uh, you can say what you think, but if you become influential, if you become too much of an influential figure, that's when, you know, when you see the rest of certain journalists this past year, you're like, okay, so there's limits to this thing. <laughs> so when it started blowing up, I was like, okay, don't blow up too much. Let's let's not get hasty here. <laughs> that was just me and my little paranoid side. But yeah, it's it's crazy. I'm really, I feel very privileged to have you have done by far the best part of the True Humanitarian podcast. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and uh, I wish you all the best of luck with your career. It takes a lot of courage to do what you've done. And, and I'm incredibly proud of, of knowing you. And, and I think uh, I think you're a very cool operator. <laughs> Thank you so much. I just want to say, you know, you've been there from day one. You heard my bars. You're like a before day one, you heard my bars when I was in university, when they were still like, I don't even know what this is, but it's just coming out and it's like raw. And you, I never forgot how encouraging you were. It's maybe Mabs and you uh, didn't understand how much it meant for me at that time to have someone outside of my friendship group to give me that validation and to encourage me to go on someone of your generation especially <laughs> because at the time that wasn't a conversation and I I never forgot it I held on to it for you know all that time to keep going so thank you it's about the rights and the freedom to be for people to choose their path in life and dream souls of men beyond what you see stages are different for each who will lead Cycles of outsiders that get fat checks, fly in, fly out of places with slums and jets. Ask better questions, pick apart, educate, and knowing is safe. We're here to build and debate. We are, we are searching for more. Open up your mind beyond rich or poor. For the truth, you've been warned. Humanitarian.